The following message was recorded Sunday, December 17, 2023. Today is the third Advent Sunday of the season, and Pastor Rick shares on Christian joy. This morning Pastor Rick covers John chapter 15 verses 1 through 17. And now, here's Pastor Rick. Joy. Joy, J-O-Y. True joy is found in putting Jesus first, then others, then yourself. It has to be in that order. Now, if you put yourself first, well, you're going to find yourself distressed, depressed, discouraged. Why? Because there's a preoccupation with self. We should never have that. True Christian joy or the abundant life that Jesus offers us is as a result of focusing upon him and our service to him for others, his body, and then he'll take care of us, won't he? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What does that mean? Against such there is no law. You can't love enough. You can't express enough joy. You can't have enough peace in your heart. That's what he's saying there. You can't do it enough. One obsession that we can have, legal obsession of life, is Jesus and allowing his fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to flow forth from our life. Amen? Now, who was first chosen and called by God to exhibit that fruit to the world? Who was first chosen by God to exhibit that fruit to the world? The first vine of the Lord. The Jews. Israel. Turn me to Psalm 80 for a moment. Psalm 80. My friend Alistair Big would say Psalm. Psalm 80. You're talking about Sam or Psalms? What are you talking about? Psalm 80. We're just going to look at a few verses here where God is describing that Israel was meant to be his vine, bearing fruit for God, but they were apostate. They were not a true vine, deviant. Verse 8. Chapter uh, Psalm 80, chapter 80, Psalm 80, verse 8, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. That's when he brought them out of Egypt, delivered them from the bondage of Pharaoh. Hmm? You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it. You caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out boughs into the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar and the boar out of the woods uproots it. The wild beasts of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit the vine, the vineyard which your right hand has planted, the branch which you have made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts, cause your face to, cause your face to shine and we will be saved. The vine that God in intended to bear fruit for him was not bearing any fruit for him. They were all concerned about themselves, enriching themselves, and enjoying the lusts of the flesh, right? 
Where else does the Bible talk about the vine of Israel not obeying God? That's right, Isaiah chapter 5. Turn there, you're so smart, you need not me teach you. Isaiah chapter 5. We'll look at the first uh, seven verses of Isaiah 5. Oh, what a beautiful sound. What sound is that? The sound of you turning the pages of your Bible. It's a rare thing for people to bring their Bibles to church today. Did you notice that? Whenever I travel, I go to visit different churches, and I can't tell you how it grieves me that the majority of churches I visit, people don't have a Bible. It almost causes me to feel awkward that I'm bringing Big Boomer in with me. <laughs> what percentage of pastors in the pulpits of America today teach on Bible prophecy or the Old Testament? <laughs> so how much are these congregations lacking in an understanding of all that God wants to do, intends to do, would do, as highest and best? As with Israel of old, so too with the culture in which we live in today. God was intending that we would bear fruit for him. God intended Israel to bear fruit, the true vine. Look with me, chapter 5, verse 1. Now let me sing of my well-beloved, a, a song of my beloved gathering her, his vineyard. The beloved here is God himself. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. The farmer is God. Where we're going to be going, the same thing is true in the metaphor that we'll be using in John 15. The farmer, the vineyard owner, is God himself. Yes, on a very fruitful hill, he dug it up, he cleared out the stones, he planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst, he also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes, sour grapes, bitter grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, and it shall be plundered. It shall not be plundered, nor pruned, or nor dug. Excuse me. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. God was looking for obedience, for justice, righteousness, mercy among his people. He found oppression, corruption, injustice, and such unrighteousness. And what we have presented for us here is that Israel, although chosen to be the vine of God, was not the true vine. It was an apostate vine. But where do we find the truth of the true vine of God? I hinted to it already. Where? John 15. So turn with me there. John chapter 15. Contrast between the apostate, the vine in name only, but not the true vine. 
and Jesus Christ, the true vine of God. John 15, John 15, give me the context. I want the context historically of what's taking place. Where's Jesus? Who is he with and what are they doing? Very good, very good. Jesus is celebrating the last Seder with his disciples before he's crucified, resurrected, and ascends, right? The Seder begins in what chapter? 13, very good. Begins in chapter 13. Chapter 13, Jesus, uh, go there for a moment, chapter 13. Now, verse 1, chapter 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the... Yes, he did, didn't he? Yeah. So he's gathered together to love them, to tell them the truth. But there is an apostate among them, much like Israel of old was apostate. There was an apostate among the apostles, pretended to be an apostle, but was not an apostle. Jesus reveals during this time that one of you will betray me. This apostate was so well hidden that every one of them began to say, Lord, is it I? To a man. Every single one of the apostles wondered, could it possibly be me? So well hidden was this apostate. Now, you recognize the corruption in your own heart, don't you? I said to my dear bride just the other day, you know, there's so many times I don't like myself. She said, I'm so glad you brought that up. I want to talk to you about that. There's many times I don't like you either. And so the apostate will be revealed after they said that, is it I, is it I, is it I, Lord? It's the one who dips his pita in the sop with me, in the hummus, right? And who was that? Judas. 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 And Satan having entered him, he went out into the night. Hmm? In the beginning, God created, right? And he called the light day. And the darkness, and what does night mean? A slow twisting away from the light. That's what it means. And for three and a half years, Judas, this pretender, this apostate, was slowly twisting and turning away from the light. The only true light that comes into the world. This is the context now. Now, now he's left, and now Jesus is left with those who are genuine. Authentic, sincere, completely enamored with Jesus. Is that you this morning? Now, if there was some conviction in your heart when I talked about twisting away from the light, all that's necessary, all that is necessary for you to be healed, whether you're in the sanctuary or you're listening to me on the Internet, is to confess, agree with God, that there's something wrong with your heart. And repent. Ask him to heal you. And to turn from this world, from the flesh, and from the enemy. And to turn unto God. Draw near unto me, saith the Lord, and I will draw near unto you. Call upon me as your God, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's all that's necessary. 
That's the message we have to share with the lost and dying world right now, isn't it? Oh, but for the sake of our conversation this morning, my assumption is you're all in the light. Amen? Yeah. So we're talking about being in the light. We're going to talk about the vine. We're going to talk about true joy. Chapter 15 of John's Gospel, verse 1. Everybody's there? Good. Verse 1. I am. Oh, let's stop there. Most of you uh, know your scriptures well. You know the Bible. You know that this is the seventh statement that Jesus makes with regard to being the I am. The I am is what? The name of God. Where do you find the name of God I am for the first time? Exodus. See, see, of course, you would say Genesis because that's the beginnings. And so most firsts are in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Go there. No, I didn't. I'm sorry. Exodus. You said Genesis. I said Exodus. Exodus 3. You got me confused, okay? Hey, nobody's got it all together, but all together? That's right. That's right. I'm so thankful for you. So thankful for the men of this fellowship and the women. You know, yesterday I said to the fellas, I said, listen, next, next week, we had a good group Saturday morning, I don't know, 30 plus guys there, and I said, next week is uh, Christmas Eve on Sunday, so maybe we should just suspend the study or just uh, pause uh, our Saturday morning study and let you fellas just do what you need to do to take care of your tasks. How many of you like to take the Saturday off? Not one hand was raised. How many of you like to meet next Saturday? Everybody raised their hand. Do you know how that rejoices my heart? I'm serious. I am so thankful that God has privileged me to be in a group of people who love God and love his word, and we grow together in it. Amen? Yeah, so this tetragrammaton, what is a tetragrammaton? What in the world is a tetragrammaton? What does tetragrammaton mean? Four letters. Thank you. All it means is four letters. So what four letters are we talking about? Y-H-W-H. Now, they inserted some vowels, and they say it is Yahweh, Yahweh, the name of God. But, but this is the tetragrammaton. This is the first time we see it where God is declaring who he is to Moses. Moses, I've sent you. And Moses said, who shall I say send me? Pharaoh has so many gods, right? Chapter 3, verse 14. Is that what I said? Yeah. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus in John's gospel uses the great I am, that tetragrammaton, that name for God, no less than seven times identifying himself as the I am, what was he saying? I am God. I am God and there is no other. How did the Jews feel about that? Blasphemy! Right? They went crazy when he would say that. And this is the last time he'll make that declaration, and they'll reject him all the more for it. But the national rejection of Jesus, the Messiah, by his own, was for the purpose of the salvation for us, the Gentiles. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, thank you, Jesus. That you predetermined to sacrifice another firstborn, Israel, for my salvation and for theirs. Thank you, Lord. 
No, don't misunderstand me. Don't go out and say that God, that Pastor Red said that Israel's rejection of Jesus saves you. No, Jesus saves you. But he sacrificed two sons for your salvation. The first one is a relationship with Israel. And the second one, of course, Jesus, our propitiation for our sins, only through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Is there something else I want to share about that? Not at this time. Chapter 15, John's Gospel, verse 1. We said this was the last of seven statements. Can you give me some of those other statements where he mentions that he is the great I am? I am the bread of life, first one. I am the good shepherd, number three. I am the good shepherd, number four. Excuse me, I am the sheepskate, number three. First one, bread of life. Second one, the light of the world. Third one, the sheep's gate, the gate to the sheep, the good shepherd. The resurrection and the life, 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, that truth declared that no one comes to the Father except by me, in me, through me, period. There's no other way to salvation other than in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 24, he said, if you do not believe that I, I am, you will die in your sin. I had a Jehovah's Witness that I worked with at one time, and he was witnessing to me continually witnessing to me. I appreciated his, his moral character, but no one is perfect. For all have and fall short. And what do they believe about Jesus? That he's an angel at best, the brother of Lucifer. Is that true? No, no. And I quoted that verse from, I showed him, I brought him over to John chapter 8, and I said, now you listen to this and you take it in. Jesus is declaring himself to be God, and he says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sin. And that is the very reason why he was crucified, because he declared himself to be God. You understand that, don't you? Yeah. Okay. So in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. We know the false vine. What was the false vine, the apostate vine? Israel. God intended that Israel would bear fruit for God. We see in, in uh, Matthew's gospel where Jesus is making entry into Jerusalem once again. And he's about to have another confrontation with the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees. So lazy, so pathetic. We read the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. I was discussing it with my son this morning as he was sharing what he was going to be sharing in his church. talking about how the shepherds went out of their way. But I said, what about the Magi? How far did the Magi come? How far? Yeah, somewhere 600 plus miles they traveled because they believed that the star was a sign that the Messiah was born. And where better to discover the truth about the Messiah and where he would be born than go to Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, the city of peace. And he went to Herod, and Herod called all of the scribes, and he said to the scribes, tell us, where would the Messiah be born? And they said, Bethlehem, Ephrata, right? Bethlehem. How far was Bethlehem from Jerusalem? Six miles. Listen to this. Well, don't be lazy, folk. The Magi went 600 miles to discover the truth. The scribes in Israel would not go six miles to discover the truth. 
Don't be lazy. There's so many lazy Christians out there who don't really want to dig in and discover the truth of who God is. And the real joy and rejoicing of your heart is as the Bible, the word of God expresses to you in fullness the God of the word. And that hope, peace, joy, and love of this season enters into you, abides within you. No one can take that away. Isn't that wonderful? I am the true vine, the true, not the apostate. Not an effective vine. And oh, beloved, there can be many who come like Judas. And you can't detect them, but God knows. And they know their own heart. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and he's going to talk about this fruit continually, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he bear, that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus was going in to have this confrontation with apostate Israel. Should have been bearing fruit for God. And he walks by a fig tree. And it's the season for figs. Its leaves are green. And he goes over to the tree, and what's, what does he see? It's fruitless. I liken it to Bradford pears. You got any Bradford pears in your yard? When Bradford pears grow large, become a monstrosity, what's your concern? They break so easy. It's a monstrosity. Is it a real pear tree? Nay. Nay, real pear trees wouldn't do that. What's distinctive about a Bradford pear compared to a real pear tree? No fruit. It's fruitless. It produces a blossom in the spring. Isn't it beautiful? But it... Oh, stinketh, right? Like a lot of false Christians. Oh, they appear beautiful outwardly, but inwardly they, and there's no fruit. You get the point? I hope you do. Beloved, I love you. How many times have I told you, listen? Not with your ears. Your ears will deceive you, your eyes won't. I live what I believe, do you? Hmm? So important. Ah, we're seeing the difference between the true vine the apostate vine, a true believer and a make-believer. What's the difference? Fruit. Fruit. Right? For the works of the flesh are evident. Paul talks about it in Galatians 5. Yeah, that's what we produce. But the fruit of the Spirit simply depends upon us leaning upon the true vine, abiding in him. And who's the vine dresser? Who's the farmer? Yahweh. God. The Father himself. And the vine is Jesus. And what part of the Godhead produces the fruit? The Holy Spirit. You see that? Isn't that beautiful? How they work in harmony with each other. Hmm? The Godhead. Yes, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that bears fruit, he, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The apostate. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Now, in the spring of the year, what would the vine dresser do? He'd go through the trees, right? And he'd begin to or go through the vines, the, the grape vines, and he'd take off all the dead branches. He'd cut them off, and they'd have a fire with them later. But those that were still green and alive, he'd prune so that they would bear more fruit. That's what God is doing even now in our lives. If you're a true vine, if you're one of the branches, right, and Jesus is the vine, then he's pruning you. Someone told me the other day, photography and Christianity have a great deal in common. You know what it is? 
They all need to develop through negative. You can only develop the film through negatives, right? And how much of our life is really matured and perfected through the sufferings of our life, the prunings that God purposes and brings about. Isn't that not true? Yeah, Father is the vine dresser, right? He prunes us. But those who bear no fruit, he cuts off and he burns. This is what he's going to tell us. But those over there were clean. Why? Because of Christ's presence. He had already told them that. And he says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, that the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Hmm. Jesus reproduces his life in ours. We are completely, 100% dependent upon the sufficiency of Christ and his word to produce any spiritual fruit. Is that true? Because without him, you can do how much is nothing? Nothing is nothing. How much man has attempted to do in this religious culture in which we live? But it's not fruit for God, is it? No. The Chinese house leader left America after visiting all the churches in America, and they asked him, well, what was your opinion? Summarize your time here in America and visiting all the churches throughout all the denominations. And he said, it's absolutely amazing what you've been able to accomplish without the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Isn't that something? But true fruit, lasting fruit, can only happen as Jesus himself, through the person of the Holy Spirit, is reproducing his life in yours. And that should be your prayer every morning when you awake. Lord, Lord, let your appearing be in my life, in my relationship first to my wife. Lord, and everyone that I should meet today, in every conversation, every encounter, Lord, Lord, please may your life prevail. When Paul was singing his swan song in 2 Timothy, and he knew that his departure was at hand, and there's a crown of righteousness laid up for him, but not for him only, right? The crown of righteousness laid up for whose righteousness? It was Christ's righteousness. What's that name for Christ? Jehovah, I am to Sidkenu. Jehovah, or I am to Sidkenu. I am your righteousness is what it means. A crown of righteousness laid up for me, but not only for me, but for all those who love is appearing. Now, now, first and foremost, it means it's appearing in your life right now. He is reproducing his life in yours. That's the fruit. You don't produce the fruit the vine does. He is divine. You ain't, right? Without me, you can do nothing, right? Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What is this word abide or remain? What is it? Meno, meno. What does it mean? To live in. To live in. Some other definitions? It means to continue, to dwell, to endure, to remain, to stand. Right? To abide in him is, is, is believing, believing in your heart, right? So abide is believing in him. Abide is obeying him. Living according to his will for your life. All those who love is appearing, not just his second coming. He's not just talking about the rapture of the church. Well, I want to jump off this place, don't we? Well, maybe you don't. I don't know. 
But it's not just referring to the second coming when he was coming to take us away from the corruption of this world, as he did Noah and his sons, as he did Enoch, as he has done so many times previously to show us examples. But to love the appearing of Jesus in our life when we act contrary to our nature, but more aligned with his. Now, I know my nature. Do you know yours? I tell my wife all the time, you know, you just got to be careful. You got to discern every morning whether Igor is walking up with you or whether it's Jesus. If I wake up singing, she can pretty much conclude I've, I've abided. If I wake up grumpy like an old man, you know, well, Igor, I need to pray for him. Now, don't you wish that Jesus appeared 100% of the time in 100% of your life? Don't you? What's the determining factor? Me, my surrender, my yieldedness. To abide in him, yes, is to believe in him. But to abide in him is to obey him, to surrender to him. And to abide in him is to allow love to be true love, biblical love, Christ's love, to be produced in and through my life to others around me. That's what he's talking about. This abiding, John loves this word. He uses it 40 times in the gospel, 27 times in his epistles. To abide, to remain. Yes, unless he abides in the vine, he can, and neither can you do anything unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. First he wants you to bear fruit. Now he wants you to bear mucho fruit, much fruit. Right? For without me, you can do Nothing. Do you understand the preeminence of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ in your life? Do you understand that the only way you're going to experience the sufficiency of Christ is as you know and obey the sufficiency of the Word of God? Is the Word of God sufficient as our guide in everything we believe and practice? It's not a book of science, is it? It doesn't tell us how to conquer our world scientifically, does it? No, no, no. He gave us our brains for that. What is this primarily a book of? relationships. First, the vertical relationship with him and how to get our relationship right. We talked about that last week, the peace with God. Peace with God first is that we have peace now with God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? We have peace with God. We have peace of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. We have peace in God by being in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're going to display to the world. If I'm going to abide, if I'm going to truly be the, the branch of the vine that he wants me to be, discovering his sufficiency in all things, and particularly and more specifically in my relationships of life. Christina, Jimmy, I don't know if you're on this morning, but I'm just going to mention our lunch yesterday, if you don't mind. And if you do, it's too bad. No, they don't care. Good morning. Hope you're listening. Uh, Jimmy is a is a, a framer, finished carpenter, tiler. I mean, just he, whatever it has to be done from roof to foundation, he can do it in a house. And he was sharing with me how the contractor he was working for wasn't following the blueprints correctly, and the owner who was having the home built had to get rid of him. And I said, I gave you a blueprint. Are you following it? Last time we gathered together, I gave him a Bible. 
And I said, now are you following the blueprint I gave you? And he talked about, before we even got into that discussion about the faulty foundation of another home he was building, the owner wanted a larger basement, more room in the basement, so they took out some of the pillars. You know, in Italian we say, what a cagoots, a stunar, right? Tuzipats, right? <laughs> well, he said, he said it wasn't any time at all. We, we, all we, we just had the subfloor down and the, and the plywood on top. We didn't have anything on top. And it, and it shrunk three quarters of an inch, sag. And we told him, you can't, you can't do this. No, you, you can't have a faulty foundation, can you? And you've got to have the right blueprint, isn't that right? For the house to be built. Oh, how, oh, how true it is with the word of God. Do you understand that abiding in Jesus is abiding in his word? It means that we allow his word to be all sufficient in guiding us and in instructing us in our relationship with God first. God determines the appropriate way in which to approach him, doesn't he? Who are those two boys that offer strange fire to the Lord? Nadab and Abihu, and they became crispy critters, right? No, they offered strange fire to Listen, just, just a week before, they were anointed by God to be priests unto the Lord and how their father and mother, Noah, I mean, not Noah, Aaron and Mrs. Aaron, must have been so proud of their boys. And then what do we do? They offer strange fire unto the Lord. Why? Because God had determined the way in which to approach him that was appropriate. And Aaron was told not even to mourn for his sons. God has determined today the way in which we approach God, the Father. And it's only through the Son. But how many, how many times have you heard? Well, there's not just one way. Whichever way works for you. For there are, all rivers lead to the ocean, right? And all roads lead to God. Isn't that true? Yes, it is. It'll eventually lead to God, but only one leads into the kingdom. Everyone is going to come before him. For if destined to man wants to, and then the judgment, right? Oh, yeah, you're, all roads are going to eventually meet God, but there's only one way, entrance into the kingdom. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they are, gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Who's thrown in the fire and burned? the branch that does not bear any fruit. James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Basically, what we're saying is workless faith is worthless faith. Workless faith is worthless faith. You can't say you have faith towards God and you're doing nothing in service to him. Nothing in obeying his word. This is what Jesus is saying here. Now, he's not talking about believers who suddenly lose their salvation. Don't misinterpret the text. That's not what he's referring to. People have implicitly stated, well, they were Christians, they were branches, they were in the vine, and they lost their salvation. You can never come, come away with an implicit interpretation that completely goes against an explicit text where Jesus said, of all the Father has chosen to come unto me, they come unto me. And I lose, and I can tell you text after text after text that will help assure you, guarantee you, settle it in your mind and heart that once you're Jesus, you're Jesus is now and 
Now, now you, you may slip up so badly that he might have to discipline you, take you out of this world. So he'll completely destroy your witness, right? But here he's talking about an apostate, as Judas was an apostate. He wasn't a true believer. Oh, he was with them, but he, he was among them, but he wasn't with them, was he? No, no. Go ahead, read the text. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they are gathered, and he gathers them, and he throws them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Hallelujah! A genie in the bottle. What are you asking for this Christmas? Is that what he's saying? You sure? How do you know that? He's saying, ask anything in my name, and it'll be done for you. The blab it and grab it people, lip it and grip it, you know, name it and claim it. You know what I'm talking about? Word of faith people. They so distort, they so mutilate this text, right? I've told you before, you know, when you take a text and you start to torture it, it'll confess to anything. And so they do. Let me, let me give you an understanding of what this is saying. It's not saying that you can ask anything you want and God has to do it. It's not your genie in a bottle. You don't give God commands. God's commanded you. Turn with me for a moment. Chapter 14 of John's Gospel. Uh, who's speaking in chapter 14? Jesus. Don't you love the beginning of 14? Is your heart troubled this morning? Anxious for anything? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you, that where I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I go am, there you will be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Wow. What are those mansions in heaven? Can't you wait? Hmm? Make Mar-a-Lago look like a shack. Is that what it's talking about? What are the mansions in heaven? It's your glorified body, beloved. Don't think materially. Don't think earthly. Don't think temporal. Think spiritual, eternal, heavenly. It's a spiritual body. It's your glorified body. Praise God. But for our conversation about ask anything in his name and he will give it to you. Look at what did I say? What verse? Did I say the verse? No. Verse 12. Good, you're listening. Chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Yeah, don't you understand? If you have enough faith, you can determine your death day. You'll give up the ghost when you want to, just like Jesus did at the cross when he surrendered him. Is that true? But that's how they mutilate the text. What does the rest of the text say? Please look with me. Chapter 14, verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, in that day, names meant everything, didn't they? And so asking in his name, when you name your child Lydia, you named her Lydia? No, no. Gail and I want to know if we can adopt her. <laughs> I never had a daughter. <laughs> Why Lydia? Lovely. Lovely Lydia, the seller of purple, lover of Jesus. Names, names had meanings. 
Tremendous meaning in that day. You would pray and ask God to help you name your child because the name also indicated their nature. And you shall call his name Jacob. What's it mean? Dirty, rotten scoundrel. Heel catcher, right? And so he was, right? <laughs> Swindled his brother out of his birthright, but his brother had no regard for it anyway. He was like a, no offense intended, used car salesman, you know? But later on, when God got a hold of him, he changed his name and changed his nature, and he shall be called Israel, governed by God. You see? So it was very important in that day, and when you're praying in his name, you're praying in his nature. Nature. Turn with me to the epistle of 1 John, 1 Johannine epistle, chapter 5. And you can keep your place in chapter 15 of John, so you don't lose it, but John... First epistle, first handed epistle, chapter 5. Uh, let's see. Let me get my place here, didn't I? Yeah. Verse 14. Somebody say that? None of us have it all together, but all together? Isn't it wonderful? Verse 14, he said. All right, I'll go to verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. In who? Jesus. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin that does not lead unto death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading unto death. Hmm. So Jesus is saying, if you're really going to ask in my nature, if you're going to pray in my nature, what would you be praying for most of the time? Okay, and what is his will? He, he indicates that here. That sinners would be saved. That's his will. If you see someone sinning, a sin that does not lead unto death, you should pray for him. Ask of God. Now, that's what I've taught you before. When you pray for unbelievers, you pray that God will give them the grace gift of faith to believe because only God can save. But God's primary concern, for God so loved the world that he, the missionary heart of God, saved, came, sent Jesus to save us from our sins. When you're praying in God's nature, very rarely are you praying for yourself. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, his prayer primarily was for the apostles and for you and I, those who would believe in their testimony, in their word. So when you pray, you pray in accordance with his nature. And when you're praying in the nature of his name, you know that you have the prayers that you requested. You can be confident. It's the very thing that he will hear you. But he will answer according to his will, his timing, his way, right? Back to, back to John chapter 15. But so often today, unfortunately, we have all these apostates who twist the scripture to justify their own covetousness and greed and selfishness and self-centeredness. And all they're concerned about is wealth, prosperity, and their pleasures and their pride. God bless you. God bless you again. Yeah, we got it covered now? Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit now. Bear fruit, bear more fruit. Now you're bearing much fruit, grande fruit, right? So you will be my disciples. Now God has called us for the purpose of being with him, and as we are with him and abide in him, he produces the fruit in our life. And the more we yield to him in loving obedience, the more fruitful we become. Someone asked me the other day why we don't do these uh, spiritual gift tests. You ever been in a church where everybody takes this test to find out what your spiritual gifts are? Is that right? You ever do that? You never did that? How many of you have done that? Okay. Was it really an assessment of spiritual gifts or was it an assessment of your own idiosyncrasy? Personality, temperament, inclinations, you know, those natural gifts and talents you have coupled with your personality and the temperament that God has given you or was it truly spiritual gifts? Listen to me. Paul's exposition on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 makes it very clear that there is one who distributes these gifts, the diversity of these gifts, according to his will. And who is that? Who? That ain't you? No. No. Now, it's, it's good for you to pray and ask God what the gifts are that he has given you. But what is the purpose of the gifts? All of the gifts, save one. Edification, right? Exhortation and comfort for the rest of the body. It's, it's for the sake of the body. God will gift you so that you're equipped to be able to minister to his body. There's only one gift that he gives that would minister to you. What is that? Tongues. And should that be used publicly? No. No. If you have an interpreter, but no more than two or three at the very most, he said. But look at the overemphasis upon the gift that Paul describes as the least of the gifts, and there's such an overemphasis upon it today, such an abuse of the gifts, right? Is that not true? Is it true? Okay. Now, rather than focusing on spiritual gifts, what does Jesus want you to focus on? If you're abiding in the vine and you are a true branch, what are you producing? Tongues? Logosophia, logos locus, glacialia, what are you producing? Those are all, all Greek terms for gifts. No, you're producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, as God the Father sees that you're abiding in his Son, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, you're producing this fruit as his branch... Oh, my, will he empower you with spiritual gifts. Some people have, have uh, uh, said, boy, you have a good memory, only for the Bible. I don't even know what I had for breakfast this morning. And I can't tell you how many times I have to ask, have you seen my phone? My keys, you know where my keys are? Oh, I, I, I am so forgetful. You, I mean, seriously, you, you, I'm so thankful for the woman. She finds everything. She found the tree, didn't she? No. <laughs> one, one time, I remember my, my first wife. She's in heaven now. I'm, I'm a blessed man. Two women. One in heaven, one on earth. Praise God. Double blessing. Double springs. One day, I, I'm going about my business, and my wife is working away. She's typing Roberta. And I said, have you seen my keys that are in your back pocket? How did you know that? God help him. 
Now listen, it's true. If you know me, I'm forgetful. If, if I make an appointment with you, make sure I put it in my phone. Because I'll have to apologize later. Mea culpa, mea culpa. I forgot. But boy, God has, God has gifted me with a memory for the Bible. I, I don't know why. I just, I can remember the Bible. What's your name again? <laughs> if you focus on abiding in the vine to be the branch that is bearing fruit unto God, God will endow you with the spiritual gifts necessary to accomplish his will. Do you understand that? Well, we can't have a session where I'm going to teach you all how to speak in tongues. You ever been to a church where they do that? Next Saturday, at the assembly, we're going to teach you all how to speak in tongues. La, 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 she wrote a Honda, she wrote a Honda. I don't know, it's crazy, it's bizarre. Now, I'm not mocking it because I sing and speak in tongues. Have you ever heard me? No, not appropriate, not appropriate. The one gift given for my edification, my comfort, my exhortation, is that gift of tongues, and that's the way it's supposed to be used. But thank God for all of the other multitude of gifts that he would give for the sake of building up his body, loving you as we're supposed to, loving one another, not selfishly lavishing these things upon ourselves. So don't pay any attention to gifts. You'll get the gift you need to accomplish his will. What should you be focusing on? And how do you exhibit the fruit? How do you produce the fruit? Abiding in him. You don't produce fruit, he does. It's allowing Jesus to reproduce his life in yours. That's living the Christian life. And that brings lasting joy. Everlasting joy. Do you understand that? Conversely, beloved, listen to me. He won't empower a servant he cannot trust. There are, there are a lot of untrustworthy people out there who want these gifts for themselves. Last week, we learned of a man. Uh, what's his name? Simon. Simon. He may have been Simon Magnus, the apostate. We're not certain of that. But there's a term now in Christianese called simony. And what is that? Will you buy the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit? Can you do that? No. No, no. but he attempted to. So many people foolishly don't understand You fathers, being evil, right? That's what he says. Are you evil fathers compared to God the Father? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fathers who are evil, if your son asks you for bread, would give him a rock or an egg, you give him a serpent, scorpion. Would you do that? No, of course not. And you're being evil. But how much more your Father in heaven will give unto you the Holy Spirit if you just ask Jesus is driving home the point here that if we'll abide in him, abiding in faith by believing in our heart, all that he has said, all that he has done, all that he will do, abiding in loving obedience and surrender to his will, not my will, but his will, thy will be done, Lord. And then being his witness in this world, allowing that fruit of the Spirit to be reproduced in your life over and over and over. It's a, such a joyous experience when you bear fruit, when you bear much fruit, when you bear more fruit. Amen? Back to the text. We've got a few more minutes. Here we go. We'll finish it up. We're only going to go down to, uh, we better go down to verse 17. 
Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you are, will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in him. That, that dependence and that loving obedience, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be in Jesus. That's right. Trust and obey. I like that, Paul. Get you up here. Now, now, there's the problem. There's the rub. If you trust him, you'll obey him. But so many people don't obey him because they don't. And you ask them, of all the people in the world, even your God, who do you trust? And they'll say, they trust themselves. I trust Jesus and his word more than I trust myself. I've discovered that over 43 years of walking with him. I cannot trust my own judgment. I can't trust my first impulses or reaction. I have to trust Jesus and his word. And obey, even when I don't understand. Amen. Amen. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. He wants us to have that abundant life. He said that in John chapter 10, 10. Paul gives us an understanding and a definition of the abundant life. I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly. I want this joy to be overflowing out of your life, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the situation. And what's abundant life? Godliness with contentment is? Yeah, or joy. Joy is being godly, allowing Christ to reproduce his life in you. And then being content with such things as you have or the situation you're in. A lot of times he's simply asking us, Mark, can I trust you with the suffering that you're going to be going through? Will you trust me? Even though I'm going to take your dad this day, will you trust me? Yes, Lord. So often, that, listen, that's the case. And we're going to pray for Mark. Mark's dad is a believer. And I'm envious. I'm jealous. If I knew I was leaving today, I'd be a happy man. Right? Oh, I, I understand the corruption of this world, and I understand how that one is not corrupt in any way. I can't wait. Even if I have to leave you, my dear, I'm sorry. But he'll take care of you. And if you leave me, no, he'll take care of me too. Right? Yeah. But there are many things, many negatives that will come into your life to develop you to become the picture of Christ he desires you to be. And it's through those negatives that we really grow and mature and are perfected. But he asked the question, can, can, can I trust you with this suffering? You're not going to cut and run. You're not going to curse me. You're not going to walk away, are you? Are you going to trust me in this suffering that I, the great physician, has prescribed for you to heal you? The rejection of Jesus by Israel was predetermined by God. I have wounded you two days so that on the third day I might heal you and you would live in my sight. You know, the uh, eschatological implications of that verse are huge. Wow. That your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid his life down for us. Therefore, we need to lay our life down for him. By dying... By living for him. 
There's a couple of men in the Old Testament where God said they were his friends. Who were they? Abraham? Moses. Abraham was a friend of God. Why? Because he believed God and acted accordingly. God said to Miriam, why? Why were, you not, why were you not afraid to speak to my servant Moses? I speak to him face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. You see, a servant only knows what his master has commanded him to do. He doesn't understand all that his master is doing. But Jesus calls us friends of all the things that God has revealed to him, the Father. He reveals to us now. In the Revelation, which is quite an unveiling of the glory of Jesus Christ and all that's going to happen in the second coming, it says that Jesus Christ revealed, the Father revealed it to Jesus, Jesus revealed it to whom? The angel, and the angel revealed it to John. You don't know the Revelation? God revealed it to Jesus, Jesus revealed it to the angel, the angel revealed it to John, John revealed it to us. His friends. He's telling us all that God the Father intends to do through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? <clears throat> yes, you are my friends. Verse 14, if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known unto you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever, ask you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he gives you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Hmm. Normally, the student picks his teacher, right? You know, if you're getting a bad grade, you really don't understand what's taking place, maybe you need another teacher, right? Somebody who can communicate with you a little better. Do you ever have to do that? Yeah. I mean, that can happen sometimes. But here you have the teacher picking the students, the master. Picking his servants. Who's your teacher? The Holy Spirit. Through the word of God. He's chosen you, you specifically, to be his student and to follow him. He's our master. He's our teacher. He's a Rabboni, right? And now we, in loving obedience, obey all that he has said to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy, you listening? Now, yesterday I said to you, you know, do you go to church? No, oh, well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No. But Christians go to church. <laughs> if you truly are, why do you go to church? So we can do what we read in Nehemiah. So we can come together, read the word of God, and understand what it means, and then go out, eat the fat, drink the sweet. It's Sunday. It's a legal nap day, too. <laughs> oh, beloved. Joy, Jesus, others, you last. Loving Jesus and loving others and seeing ourselves for who we really are. Amen? Abiding in the vine. And we'll produce the fruit that he wants to produce. And he'll give us the gifts according to what he's called us to do in his service. But he's far more concerned in not what you do for him, but who you are before him. You understand? Big difference. Shall we stand? Pastor David, you got a closing song. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.